of Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Okay, this melody's on my mind. <laughs> and I'm going to start with it because it just it. fell into my brain. Okay. And I'm very curious if any listener out there can tell me where this melody comes from. Okay. That's all I'm going to do. That's the only sample you get. If anybody, if anybody, if anybody knows where that song comes from, send us a note and you'll get a prize of some kind. Maybe I'll send you a free book or something. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. It just fell into my brain there it was there it was hey everybody welcome to another episode yeah <laughs> see i thought you were gonna do the theme song from the show we just recently oh, watched nope um so we just finished watching with some of our kids uh the bbc adaptation of pride and prejudice six six hour long episodes i think it is yeah um that was for for the two of us that was our third time watching that series through third third time over what like a span of 15 years or something yeah um so i actually read the book pride and prejudice i think as a ninth grader and just really got captivated by it. the author jane austen has such a, a gift with words and letting you into the uh, a different time um and kind of capturing a lot of the the questions of the heart um and the difficulty of navigating our relationships and our situation in life um so i don't know if you have anything you want to share yeah, about watching you know what that i like about the fact that i like watching pride and prejudice with you uh-huh i like that you know jane austen is is known as you know the uh, favorite author of of women yeah um and to watch Pride and Prejudice, you know, it's kind of like a chick flick. <laughs> but I, I love it. I get into it. And I love that you've expanded my world. You know, I wouldn't necessarily. In fact, I know I never would have. <laughs> <laughs> I never would have watched Pride and Prejudice if it wasn't something that blessed your heart. Uh -huh. And because it blessed your heart, I wanted to see why it blessed your heart. Because I love your heart and I want to come into that world. And it really, it does help me to enter that world. But I also love that you love Braveheart. Mm -hmm. I love that you, you, we go both ways there, right? Yeah. You, you want to come into my world and I want to come into mm. your world. And we're always enriched when we do that. And it's a bonding experience for our family too, when we sit down to, yeah. to watch a series. We talk about it over dinner and we're all excited when, when we get to watch the next episode and yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to the artists, the actors, the producers. Uh, it, there's so much that goes into producing something like that. And it's easy enough just to pull it up on Hulu or Netflix or wherever you watch, whatever you watch and sit down and have a relaxing night watching something. But oh my gosh, the the work that goes mm. on so that we can have that experience. It, it's helpful to me to actually watch the credits Mm -hmm. and and think of the people and say thank you mr lighting director mm -hmm. thank you mr stage crew guy mm -hmm. thank you you know to all those hundreds of people who are listed at the end of a, a show or a movie who've who've 
given their lives so that we could have that experience. Mm. I feel a communion with the artists who produce good art. Yeah, that's true. That's a good thing to reflect on. And I love on. those. I love the actors. Who who's the who's who plays Darcy? I forget his name. Yeah. What's his name? From Colin uh, the King's Speech. Colin Firth. Colin Firth, right? Yeah. And Jennifer Ailey. Ailey yeah. plays um, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And they're great together. They yeah. have great chemistry. Although I think Colin Firth was a little stern in his <laughs> portrayal of Darcy. I think the guy who played Darcy in the movie version was a little softer in some regards. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, it's good stuff. Something that strikes me is um, that oldest Bennett sisters, uh, Jane and Elizabeth, are both not married and um, kind of at that age of looking to be married. They have some beautiful conversations about their own hearts and thoughts about what will it be like to be married and how can it be a truly mm-hmm. beautiful marriage. And they talk about just the need to for both spouses to really respect one another. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love those little insights, you know, going back through centuries just of the importance of, um, yeah, our, our human hearts being um, affirmed, known, uh, honorable, at all of that. It's, it's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is beautiful. If you're looking for some fun family viewing, uh, it's on Hulu. If you have Hulu, that's where we watched it. <laughs> that's right. Do uh, you have any updates for us about yes, the TOB Institute? Yes, we have some courses coming up, mm-hmm. which I recently mentioned in another episode. But just as a reminder and a review, you can always just click the link to, to see more and learn more. But we have the Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery course online starting uh, to kick off Advent. So check that out. It, it would be a great preparation for Christmas. i put it this way. If you take the Mary course online in Advent, you will enter into the celebration of Christmas like you've never entered into the celebration mm-hmm. of Christmas. Uh, it'll come uh, out of the kind of, um, I don't know, what do we do? The, the, we kind of stylize Christmas with our Christmas cards and our, I mean, it's all fine and good, but but it can kind of become almost like a, a fairy tale or something. Mm. Taking this Mary course online for Advent will bring you into the visceralness, the mm. the earthiness, the reality of the word made flesh in the womb of this woman and what that means for the entire universe. The fathers of the church said that when Mary said yes and conceived the Son of God in her womb, the furthest star in the universe danced. Mm. There are cosmic implications to the incarnation, and that reverberates right into your life, and that's what this course is all about. So check it out. We also have Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization being offered in person here in Pennsylvania at the Retreat Center, Black Rock Retreat Center, and that is a tour through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I love teaching this course uh, TOB1 is a prerequisite for this course, because what we're doing is we're putting on our TOB glasses 
And now we're going to read the Catechism. We're going to go through all four pillars of the Catechism. And seeing the Catechism, seeing the faith come alive, is, is such a thrill for me as a teacher, seeing it come alive in the life of my students. And the image I have is like um, Jiffy Pop, like you, you have those seeds, like all this, the seeds of the faith have been planted in our, our lives, and our hearts. They're there. If you were raised a Catholic, they're there. But taking a course like this is like you have all these seeds in that Jiffy Pop popper, and you put it on the heat, and it's like pop, 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 and the foil rises. Remember how exciting that was as a kid? <laughs> He's talking about a popcorn, a stovetop popcorn oh, yeah, there are thing. Listeners out there don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Before there were microwave ovens, before there yeah. was microwave popcorn, there's this thing you bought at the store called Jiffy Pop, and it came in its own foil pan right. that you put directly on the stove, and you kind of shook it up remember that yes, sound of those kernels yes. getting shaken up and then the heat you'd hear it pop 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 and there was this lid on that little pan that yeah. foil pan there's a foil lid that would expand and it would be like this you know what it looked like to me as a kid it looked like my grandmother's hairdo because <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother had one of those like bouffant yeah yeah hairdos so when that foil rose i just thought of my grandmother's head <laughs> but then then it would like crack open and that steamy popcorn buttery goodness with the flavor oh the smell of it yeah anyway sorry that's memory from childhood that left an impression clearly that's all i have to say about that that's awesome <laughs> ready for a question let's do it from a patron this is from kendall kendall thank you kendall brother is kendall a brother or sister i'm assuming assuming it's a brother i don't know brother or sister, thank you for your support of the mission of the Theology of the Body Institute. So grateful. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. First of all, I love your podcast. Thank you for sharing the Theology of the Body with the world. It's a gift the world needs right now. My question is, how do I respond to being invited to the, quote, wedding of a same-sex couple? As a Catholic, I cannot support it. I just don't know what words to use to express this truthfully and with compassion. God bless you. That is a tough one. There, there is this call that we have to witness to the truth, to not give the impression that, and I'm glad, I'm glad by the way that you put wedding in quotes because it's not a real wedding. We have to put it in quotes because there's no such thing. There is no such thing as same-sex marriage. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. It's an impossibility. It's not that it could exist, but the church is just so mean that the church won't allow it. It's impossible. Why is it impossible for two men to marry? Why is it impossible for two women to marry? Because it is impossible for two men to engage in the marital act. It's impossible, and, and if it is impossible for two men to engage in the marital act, it is impossible for them to express marital love, right? Two men are meant to love one another. Two women are meant to love one another. We're meant to love everybody. Uh, a woman and a woman can have a beautiful, intimate love. A man and a man can have a beautiful, intimate love. And I don't mean intimate here in the sense that the culture often uses it as a euphemism for, for sex. That's part of the problem. We think the only kind of intimacy that exists is sexual intimacy, and we know we can't live without intimacy, so we think we can't live without sexual intimacy. False, 
false, false. Mm. It is true that we cannot live without intimacy. And it is true that men are meant to have intimate relationships with each other. But what does that have to do with their penises? Nothing. <laughs> a penis is not meant for another penis. Uh, a, a vagina is not meant for another vagina. Clearly, unless you are blind, there is a design here. Mm. And a man's body is designed for a woman's body. And a woman's body is designed for a man's body. And the design is such that man and woman are both literally, in the literal sense of the word, organized for each other. Meaning they have the organs that allow them to become one organism. Mm. One functioning organism. Two men do not have organs that allow them to become one functioning organism. Two women do not have the organs that allow them to become one functioning organism. Right? So that's just a little of the theology and biology behind the church's teaching here. Um, it is impossible for two men to marry. It is not impossible for two men to love each other. It is not impossible for two women to love each other. But it is impossible for them to express marital love. Marital love is the love by which man and woman become one flesh for the sake of their own unity and the procreation and education of children. So, that said, what is this person to do who's been invited to, to a, a, if we were to use proper language, a ceremony that is actually mocking the truth about marriage? Why is it mocking the truth about marriage? Because it is saying that the sexual difference is not meaningful. It's saying that the sexual difference is not essential to what marriage is. And that's, that's a real mockery. Uh, what two men may end up doing with their genitals to stimulate their genitals to, to orgasm, let's, if, we're, if we're honest, if we use real words to describe real realities, that is a mockery of the marital act. It's what it is, and I'm not saying this to read the intentions uh, or, or accuse of, of uh, culpability or assign culpability. I'm not saying any of this to do that because I can't assign culpability. But we can speak of objective truths, and this is the objective truth. And this question, the questioner, Kendall, is absolutely right that we have to show patience, understanding, compassion. We live in such a confused and confusing world. We have to show compassion. We have to show understanding. We have to show patience. But that can never mean condoning, let alone celebrating, what in reality is a mockery of a holy, sacred reality. How is that done? I, I want to turn to Jesus here as the perfect example of showing love, understanding, compassion, but not compromising what is true. And the story I, I want to point to is the woman caught in adultery. So this woman is, is caught in the very act of adultery. She's dragged in front of Jesus by those who want to stone her, condemn her. And we all know the story. Jesus says, those who are without sin may cast the first stone. And then I think the most important line of the story, and also important for our purposes here in answering this question, 
it says Jesus was alone with the woman. There's a private moment in which Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. And I like to read into the story. I like to imagine their gaze. I think it's, we're on solid ground to, to, to enter in from this perspective that Jesus was looking at her when he said this, and he was looking at her with great love. Mm. And he was looking at her with understanding of her sin. What is sin? Sin is misdirected desire. There is a genuine desire that we're taking in a wrong direction. In this situation, this woman caught in adultery, she was looking for the love of a man. She was looking for the love of a bridegroom. She was looking to be seen and known and acknowledged and affirmed in her deepest heart of hearts as a woman. And I, I like to, to imagine in Jesus's look, the way he was gazing at her, his eyes said to her, I know exactly what you were looking for. And his eyes said to her, I'm the bridegroom you've been looking for. And only in that context, with that woman knowing that Jesus did not condemn her, that he was redirecting her yearning towards that which could truly fulfill it, only in that context does he say, don't do that anymore. Don't take your desire to something that won't fulfill it. Because this is what you're really looking for. That's what go and sin no more means. Right? So we can learn so much from that story hmm. in, in addressing this situation. I assume you've been invited to this, I'll call it a ceremony. Um, you've been invited to this ceremony because you know these people. So you must have some relationship with them. So in that relationship, can you be alone? Can you pull them aside, not in a, some public forum, but can you be alone with them? Or maybe you're just friends with one of them and pull that person with whom you have the relationship aside and, and look with eyes of love and understanding that you know that this man has a genuine desire for love that in this situation is getting misdirected. Can you start with an affirmation of that good desire he has to, to know and be known, to love and be loved, but then also, in that context, hold out to him, I don't believe you will ever find what you're really looking for in this relationship, and I love you so much. I desire, so what does it mean to love one someone truly? To love another truly means... I desire your greatest good, and I'm willing to pay any price, make any sacrifice that I'm called to make to see that, that you achieve that greatest good, and that I could aid you in that greatest good. And I am not aiding you in that greatest good by celebrating what is leading you in the wrong direction, that is actually leading you away from that greatest good. It can only be done in love. If there is a judgment or a condemnation in your own heart, he'll sense it. But if, he, if there is genuine understanding, compassion, uh, and, and, a, and an affirmation of his true good, that you really desire his true good, then I believe he will also, at some level of his own heart, will, will, will feel that, even if he's angry or resentful or 
calls you a bigot or calls you whatever he may call you. That may be the price that you have to pay in sacrifice in working for his true good, which means to love him genuinely. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so true. That that line that you pulled out of that story, Jesus Jesus was alone with the woman. I, I don't know if I've I've heard you say that before. It was very striking. Um um, just the sense of the the personal relationship yes, that's yes. and and the the sensitivity that being alone allows that's very different from the public sphere. Yeah, there are so many different situations that people could be in here, and yet it is true that we can't support um, this you know type of mockery of marriage. Um, I was struck, as you mentioned there, um, toward the end of your comments about the possibility of having some anger directed in right. response, that there's nothing that we can tell our listeners, do this and it'll be yeah, well it'll received. Go, it'll go great if you do this. <laughs> and part of that has to do with the spiritual battle. So we have to just acknowledge that there are forces dark spiritual forces involved in this kind of relationship and that it's our battles not with flesh and blood you know that we are not engaged in a battle with people who are making these um, decisions that are truly objectively wrong but that if we can recognize that's I'm not here to fight with this human being and when we experience sometimes anger and accusations and things that that ring in our ears and cause us pain you know coming back towards us to take the opportunity to deepen our sense of being really called to pray and called to recognize there are demonic forces that yes. are against the truth and to to not you know accuse someone of being possessed or some kind of thing where we're getting sort of too into well, what's the specifics of that? But just to step back and just pray for truth to reign. Pray for the ultimate truth and goodness that Christ came to reveal to have its victory in this person's life and allow that to just let a lot of that attack not stay with us, to just turn it over into the, the body of our Lord crucified, to just that's what he was absorbing on the cross and offering that 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 God's power would be victorious and plant the cross in our own lives and in the lives of others um, and recognize just he has the victory. And so that it, it is a lot about, I think, having our hearts in the right place, trusting God has a bigger plan, he sees the bigger picture, and then expressing the truth and love and and I think it was really beautiful what you said about just that sense of it needing to be very personal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to bring up a quote from John Paul II here to, to back up what you're saying, Wendy, about the spiritual battle. Have you noticed that marriage is under violent, violent attack in the modern world? The very difference of male and female is under violent violent attack in the modern world. Why? The enemy hates, hates, hates our creation as male and female and the call of the two to become one flesh. 
Here's the quote. John Paul II says that marriage and family are placed at the very center of the battle between good and evil, life and death, love and all that is opposed to love. At the very center of the battle. Sister Lucia, who was the visionary of Fatima that lived, her, her cousins died young, but she lived until she was 97. She died in 2005. She said in the early 1980s, in response to the battle that was raging in Rome over John Paul II's teaching, i.e. theology of the body, that he, he started the John Paul II Institute in Rome to spread this teaching, and there was such a spiritual battle surrounding that teaching that the president of the John Paul II Institute wrote to Sister Lucia. Why Sister Lucia? Well, you may not know, I write about this in my book, uh, Eclipse of the Body, that the day John Paul II was shot, May 13th, 1981, which just so happened to be the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima, he was driving into St. Peter's Square that day to announce the establishment of this institute. Boom, 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 shot, right? Forces did not want this teaching to get out there. When he later did establish the institute after he recovered, he put the institute specifically under the protection of Our Lady of Fatima because he knew Mary saved his life in part so that this institute could be started and this teaching could get out. So, this is why the president of the institute in the early 80s, when he was dealing with all the spiritual warfare around this institute, he wrote to Sister Lucia asking her to pray. And she wrote back and said, a time will come when the definitive battle between Christ and Satan will be over marriage and the family. But do not be afraid, she said, because Mary has already crushed the serpent's head. So I'm just saying these, I'm sharing these stories just to, to, to wake us up a little bit, open our eyes to the fact that we are facing a raging spiritual battle, and it's all focused on our creation as male and female. St. Paul says as much. If we read Ephesians 5, and don't just stop with Ephesians 5, but go to Ephesians 6, what do we learn in Ephesians 5? We learn the meaning of marriage. We learn the meaning of our creation as male and female. We learn the meaning of the call of the two to become one flesh. This is a mega mystery, St. Paul says, and it refers to Christ and the church. That's why the enemy's after it, because the union of man and woman is the original sacrament that reveals the eternal plan of God to marry us and for the bride, the church, to conceive eternal life. So marriage being that sacrament, the enemy hates it. And right in Ephesians 6, Paul basically says, you want to live what I was just telling you in the last chapter of this letter? Get ready for a raging battle. You got to put on the armor of God if you want to win this battle. And the first piece of armor he says we have to put on is we must gird our loins with the truth. I assume you all know what your loins are. Are they girded in the truth? This is the invitation of the church. Gird your loins in the truth, because that truth will set you free. Our next question is from a listener named EJ. Hello, EJ. EJ says, hi, Wendy and Christopher. Thank you for all you do. It really has helped me listening to truth and beauty while at work. Here's what I'm struggling with. 
I feel as if my wife has the short end of the stick because she married me with all of my problems. I have been a lustful man, and I am trying not to be, but my past and continual struggle haunts me. I feel selfish every time I ask for communion with her. I also am a physically sick man, and my wife has to deal with a lot of stress as a result. I feel like a burden being a sinful and sickly man. I know in my head that I'm God's son. I just can't see how a broken son of God can be a good thing for my wife's life. Mm. How can I overcome my shame and learn to trust God in my heart? EJ, wow. I hear your heart, brother, and I can relate to your heart, brother. I have felt similar things in my marriage that the, the level of brokenness that I brought into our relationship has been a particular pain and burden and suffering for you, Wendy. So EJ, I know, I know that feeling. I can only speak to my own experience here that I have seen, <laughs> I don't know why I'm chuckling. It's kind of funny. Like it, it, well, it's maybe my, maybe my chuckling is covering a whole wealth of fear and insecurities. Who knows? Mm. But um, Wendy, I have seen you grow profoundly in holiness by the fact that you have had to be married to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I have I have seen it. I have witnessed it before my very eyes. The burdens of my brokenness and sinfulness that I have brought to our marriage. It's true. It's been your vocation to be my wife. Yes. This is true. Yes. Right? Yes. So there must be there's this is God's plan, not just for my life. That's right. It's God's plan for your life. Mm -hmm. And God has chosen, and I know you've wrestled with that <laughs> at times. You're like, God, why, why was this your plan for my life? Because uh, it's been painful. But I've seen you come to, to profound peace and even delight in being my wife. And that has been your path chosen by God to bring you to heaven. So this is, I want to hold this out to you, EJ, that it wasn't only God's plan for you to marry her, but it was God's plan for her to marry you. And I know that doesn't answer the whole question and take away all your, your, your burden and insecurities and, and what you feel there, but it's true that God brought her brought you into her life because he has a plan for her to get her to heaven. And you are part of that plan. I can say this. It's for real. Wendy, I am part of God's plan to get you to heaven. It's for real. And how do we get to heaven? We get to heaven by learning how to love as God loves. Hmm. And God loves us with our entire burden of sin. And he doesn't say to us, would you please get over your crap and your sins so that my life of loving you would be easier? <laughs> That's not how God loves us. 
God loves us by saying, let me take on your burden of sin so that you can become the person you are created to be. And it's not that your wife is your savior. She's not. But your marriage is a sacrament of salvation, which means the goal of your marriage, the goal of your wife loving you and you loving your wife is to get each other to heaven. And the way you get to heaven, as I already said, is by learning to love as Jesus loves. And, and yes, we can feel a certain extra burden or sense of guilt that, oh my gosh, if I were not so sinful, my, my spouse would have an easier time of it. And there's a truth to that. And that can be a beckoning to a deeper repentance. And that can be a, a beckoning to a deeper mercy and compassion on your wife. That can be a, a call that the Lord will use for your own sanctification and holiness. And you should take that seriously. I'm not saying any of this, you know, meaning your wife is called to, to be in this marriage to get her to heaven. I'm not saying any of this to make you feel like, oh, good, well, I can be as sinful as I want to be because my wife's just going to have to bear it because she's supposed to love me as God loves me, and God loves me with all my sinfulness. If you use anything I'm saying as an excuse to become more sinful, you're not really hearing what I'm saying. Right. But all that said, really and truly, the burden of sin that you have brought to this relationship, your wife is called by God's grace, and it can only happen by God's grace, to learn how to love you right there. And that is the calling on her life. Yes, you are to grow in sanctification. Yes, you are to be sanctified. Yes, you are to grow in holiness. Yes, you are to strive with all that you're able to do to overcome this, this habit of lust. Uh, I hope listening to our podcast is helpful there. EJ, I would urge you, even beg you, to consider coming to a TOB1 course or taking it online or getting in touch with Freedom Coaching We'll put that link in the show notes. If you're struggling in an ongoing way with pornography or masturbation, Freedom Coaching is an organization that we recommend for people who are in need of help in that regard, particularly men. Um, counseling, good spiritual direction. Look at our list of counselors and therapists that we recommend at the Institute. Please take seriously, EJ, your need to grow in holiness for your wife's sake and for your own. But again, you can walk in faith without shame. You can walk in faith knowing it was God's plan that she come into your life and you come into hers. And this is part of her plan, God's plan for her to grow in holiness as well. I'm just feeling reminded of this scene of the man who was lowered through the roof, mm. the paralyzed man that mm. was lowered through the roof Um to Jesus in the gospel. How Jesus looked at that man whose friends brought him there, believing he could be miraculously physically healed. And Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. What's easier to say, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. Right. But to show that I have the power to forgive sins, I will say, get up and walk. Yes. So I think just placing yourself in that place of that man, oh, powerful, um, you know, to recognize, mm, I don't know, there's so much power yeah. in that story yeah. to place yourself as that person encountering Jesus as a sickly, sinful man um, and recognizing how great 
is his power and his personal love for you and also the gift of the friends who lowered him to bring him to Jesus, you know, to see perhaps your wife is one of those, you know, helping to carry you to Jesus. All of that, I don't know, it's just striking me as a very relatable story here to what EJ is talking about. Lord, we, we ask that you would please bring this healing to EJ. Thank you for his wife, who in her love with others, who also love EJ, that he's being lowered, lowered to Jesus. Even You know what, Wendy? Hey, EJ, Wendy and I are your friends. Mm. And Wendy and I, and all the listeners here, why don't we all unite together with EJ's wife and just entering into that story and tearing open a hole in the roof <laughs> and lowering EJ mm. to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. EJ, you're in good hands, brother. The healing of of your sin comes through love. That's yes. how it happens. And I know your wife loves you, and I know you have brothers and sisters around the world through this podcast who have now heard your story who love you. And we're going to continue to present you to Jesus. Be not afraid, brother. Amen. Amen. Our next question is from a listener named Jill. Hello, Jill. Jill says, thank you for all the energy and insight you pour out into your podcast. It is truly a treasure trove of theological insights and practical advice. I've learned so much during my years of listening and constantly find myself sharing things I've learned from the podcast with my Bible study group and friends. That's great. My question is a fun one. I love how Christopher uses music and singing in his talks and teaching. What do you think is the determining factor in a song that stirs our hearts? Would Christopher ever consider making a Spotify TOB playlist of sorts? (laughs) I would love to listen to something like that. Oh, that's a great idea. What would be the top, say, five to ten songs you'd have to include? But you may need a limit on the number of Springsteen songs. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, I I don't know that I could choose ten. I mean... (laughs) I go through cycles of what's what's on my heart now, mm-hmm. and it kind of it kind of spins and churns, and mm-hmm. and and I, I dip into the seventies, then I dip into the sixties, then I dip into the eighties, then I dip into the nineties, then I dip into songs that our kids have shared with us, yeah, more from the two thousands and two thousand tens, and so I, I'm a mishmash of all of that stuff. But I, I want to zoom in. I don't I don't think we have time because. The first question we answered today went pretty long. I don't have time to give my top 10 on this podcast, but I do want to answer the question, what do I think, how does she say, what do I think is the dis- determining factor? Uh-huh. Say, read that part again. Yeah, what do you think is the determining factor in a song that stirs our hearts? Yeah, well, I, I can only speak to myself, <laughs> for myself. And for me, melody has a lot to do with it. The passion of the singer has a lot to do with it. And and then finally, the lyrics for me also have a lot to do with it. But for me, music hits me not first with lyrics. Music hits me first with its emotional appeal, with, with the, the, what are the heartstrings that are getting pulled here? And, and paying attention to that. And, and it could be just the sweetness 
of the melody. Melody means a lot to me. Melody conveys emotion in a very, very powerful way. Mm. So I, I, I would say, again, I've never really sat down to think this through. I'm just doing it on the spot. But this is what's coming to me. Melody pulls heartstrings. Um, the passion of the singer, the sincerity of the, the vocalist really pulls my heartstrings. There, I put this, we do this family song list every season. So four times a year, winter, spring, summer, fall, we do a, a family song list. And it's where I share music that has blessed me with the family and everybody else chimes in and gets to choose some songs. And we all share music that blesses us and we listen to it together as a family. It's, it's our family song list for the next three months, right? That's what we're listening to together as a family. And so we get to do a deep dive on songs. And we get to do, I get to do a deeper dive on songs that blessed me 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. I'll put it on a list and, and I get to, over the course of the next three months, I'm listening to it maybe once a week or so and, and I'm entering in more deeply. And I put a, a song on the list just this fall from a band called The Sugar Cubes. And I don't even remember the name of the song or birthday, I think the song is called Birthday. And I first heard this when I was a freshman in college. My roommate in, in freshman year of college introduced me to this band called The Sugar Cubes and this song called Birthday. And it's a very unusual song. She's Icelandic, but she sings, this one vocal line, she has such passion. It is this groan that comes from the depths of her soul and it comes out her vocal cords and when I hear a, a vocalist singing from that place that just, I'm opening it up, I'm letting mm. it out, I'm, it's a groaning prayer to me, this song. Think of how many songs have what I would call in Catholic terms an O antiphon, <laughs> right? Uh, how many songs just like, whoa, whoa hmm, or whoa, whoa. You know, just uh, this is an O antiphon. It comes out. Uh, that's just this expression. John of the Cross uses O in his poetry. And then in his commentary, he says, when I use O in my poems, it's an expression of longing. Mm. That's what I hear. When mm -hmm. I hear these honest singers who are just expressing longing in their, their vocals, that pulls my the strings of my heart. Um, sometimes it's just a little, a little touch of the drummer. Like I'm a drummer, and I'll hear this little emphasis on the hi hat, mm. which is those clapping cymbals, where he does like a little ditty on it, like a little ch -ch -ch -ch, or and and I was like, oh oh, I hear that, I hear that, I hear it. And I can't wait in heaven to tell that drummer, I heard what you did in the second stanza of that song that was third on the playlist on your album. I, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. And I know you thought it was cool and you did it in the studio and you wondered if anybody would ever hear it, but I heard it. Mm. And I want to, and bass lines mean a lot to me. The melody of a bass line can send me to, to heaven. Uh, I'm so grateful to the bass player for the band called The Sundays. I love this bass player, the melodies that he has on his bass notes. Oh gosh, I can't wait. I hope I, I hope that guy's in heaven and I hope I am too. And I hope I get to tell him how blessed I was by the notes he 
played mm-hmm. on his bass guitar. Like these, you can tell from my enthusiasm here that this is really meaningful yeah. to me. Like it's, it's sacred. It is a sacred place. The catalog of music in my life and what it has done for my heart, what it has done in, in my interior life, in my relationship with the Lord, next to people in my life, and of course, music comes from people, but I mean you and my, my mm-hmm. parents and my children and my siblings and my friends, next to the people in my life who have blessed me so richly, my spiritual director comes to mind, next to the people, music. Music is like number two of greatest blessings in my whole life. Mm. It is. I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful for the question. I hope what I shared was somewhat helpful. And I hope it gives you permission. You know, my goal here is not to have you rush out and listen to the the Sugar Cubes in the song Birthday. Although if you want to, sure, go ahead and look it up and listen to how she growls and groans and pines. Uh, maybe it'll bless you. Maybe it won't. But my goal here is to give you permission to let the music that blesses you really bless you. Mm. Let it really bless you. It's sacred stuff. I love uh our song lists that you mentioned. And I, I love when I kind of a certain song will kind of capture me and I'll, I'll really try to understand more deeply what is being said in the song. Yeah, you're, you're really into the lyrics. I am. I, I like to kind of pay close attention and I'll, I'll think about, well, why, why is the singer saying that? And sometimes I'll, I'll ask our kids, what is, what is that line there? You know, and it kind of spurs good discussion, sort of like talking about a good movie or, you know, book that you enjoyed together. So I, I like that a lot. And there are certain ones that I feel like I've really gotten to know somebody or appreciated the way that there's a certain poetry in many song lyrics where just a few words capture an yes, image that's yes deeply meaningful a lot of times there are biblical images in songs um and just to see the power of the lord's own imagery in secular music is really inspiring yeah so i really do enjoy that i will share since you're talking lyrics and and lyrics are very meaningful to me but it's not the first thing that grabs me comes later but i will share one of my favorite lyrics of all time Mm. And interestingly enough, the song is called Time by Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. And the lyric that just, I remember as a boy, when I first heard this lyric, I was just in awe of somebody who, who, who could, could articulate this and through articulating it, put me in awe of the mystery of time and the passage of time, which Mm -hmm. is a deeply sacred mystery. So the lyric is, and you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Oh, my word. That's some powerful lyrics to some heavy duty lyrics you're mighty young to be writing such heavy lyrics if anybody knows that's a line from a movie if anybody knows the line that what movie that line comes from you're mighty young to be writing such heavy lyrics (laughs) you can let me know you're a musical junkie like i am if you know what movie that comes from 
Okay, so now the challenge is in the same response to both identify your opening melody. Was Remember? that in this podcast? Yes. That was a long time ago. I mean, that we've been, that's, this is, might be one of our longest episodes. Did I really start this podcast? I thought that was yes. the last one we no. recorded. That was this one. All yes. right. Two challenges in yes, the same in the podcast. same podcast. So, so the prize has to go to the person who knows them both. Yep. Okay. Prize <laughs> goes to the person who knows them both. <laughs> there you go. Thank you everybody for listening today. We have fun doing this. It's a blessing on our marriage to do this. We learn to love one another more. We learn things about each other more. We we're compelled to put into words things that we wouldn't necessarily put mm -hmm. into words through the questions that you ask us and that blesses us yeah. as a husband and a wife so please know that this is a two-way street we love being part of this with you keep the questions coming share this podcast with others and until next time may you know it may you know it deeply i know you hear us say this at the end of every podcast and maybe it can be just Maybe this is the point where you're like, okay, turn it off. Oh, don't turn it off. Don't turn it off, because this is for reals, and we need to hear it over and over again, that, that we are a gift, that we are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. It's for reals. Mm, let's all become what we are. Amen. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.